Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. We have such sights to show you. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. That's Vanessa over there. Hello. I'm Kelly. Um, Vanessa. Uh, (laughs) I don't like the tone of that at all. Well, let me get into it this way. I'm, you know, starting to examine more myself on why I like something, why I don't like something. And you realize, or I started to realize, we just like what we like. Sure. Sure. And, And we'll make all sorts of excuses for it. Okay. <laughs> um, so you, Vanessa, did not like What If. Correct. And I remember, because Eric and I were like, you got to love the animation at least, right? <laughs> it's gorgeous. And you were like, I hate it. Correct. <laughs> Last week, you started talking about a show called Arcane. Yeah. Which I watched uh, part of. <laughs> I, I hated it. Oh, no. But the animation <laughs> is gorgeous and looks just like What If. <laughs> so I realized, wait a second, she doesn't hate the animation. She just likes what she likes. I and, think that's probably accurate. And I <laughs> I was telling Eric this. Um, we had a little a little text exchange where behind I was, my back. <laughs> where I was telling him that that I was giving um Wheel of Time a shot yeah. and that I just I just it wasn't working for me. And I got back a very passive aggressive um well, of course you don't like it. I like it, so you can't like it. Oh, no. And I was like, boy, is this where this relationship has come? Oh. I mean, I stood at your wedding, man. <laughs> what happened? Um, yeah. And I, and I realized I have stopped liking sword and sorcery and fantasy stuff. That's, yeah. And I love that animation in Arcane, but the fantasy thing is just, I'm like, I, I don't know why. I can't. Get you know, into it. I, the first episode, I mean, how far did you make? One episode. Okay. It, I, I would maybe try one or two more. Just, you know, <laughs> if you're willing. I mean, the one episode was kind of like, yeah. this is really neat to look at. Have you seen any of it, Eric? It is, well, like the what if stuff. It's like, it's like paintings, moving paintings it's and stuff. Stunning. It's really gorgeous. Yeah. But it's such a... um fantasy type setting that I was like, I, I just don't think I like this. Anymore. You know, it's funny cause I'm the same way. Like I actually typically don't like fantasy at all. <laughs> it's like my Achilles heel. Like I like horror and I like sci-fi and fantasy. I'm like, Oh great. A dragon. <laughs> like, I'm so wowed the majesty, but um, the, with arcane, like I, I think that the storytelling for the characters was what brought me in. And I liked that sort of fallout, like a future world where a lot of things suck really bad um, since uh, and there was some twists and turns that were so unexpected for me that they just completely blew me away and I was like man the writing for this is nuts so that was sort of what kept me in there um, more so than the the magic I don't give a singular crap about Uh, (laughs) but yeah I I think you're right like it I was actually thinking this the other day I was like I think it does it look like what if? I was like, no, that can't be right. There's no way. <laughs> now I have to watch I this. remember what I've had some things well, I, that frustrated me. I mean, in the you art. were really predisposed to not like what if. Yeah. And so you didn't. 
yeah. you didn't like the animation or anything. And, and that's, I, I just, it was just one of those things I'm it was mulling probably, around. It's like, we just kind of like what we like. Right. Yeah, it was probably yep. the context of having properties I already knew thrown into an animation style that was, um, I don't know, there was just something about it that didn't quite gel for me. And that's, that's okay. Uh, like you said, I mean, for some reason, there's something about Arcane that really like hit me in a way that I, I'm not used to being blown away. And I had such low expectations because I'm not a fan of League of Legends and everyone I know who's a fan of League of Legends <laughs> is obsessed with oh, it. Okay. So I was like, I don't know about this because it's going to be like, look at the big jiggly character. That's my favorite that I got to play and kill my friends with. And like, <laughs> that wasn't what it was. And that really blew me away. Um but no, I, I think, <laughs> I don't know. They've got a bunch. I, I'm probably just mixing it in my head with Pokemon too. So, oh man. It, well, I, I would say that was not so much passive aggressive. That was sort of aggressive. My reply to you on Wheel of Time. It's just, you know, after a, a month of nonstop dune shit, I figured, all right, now he's going to find a new one to attack me with for the next couple months. Wow. You know what? <laughs> You brought Dune up. <laughs> so, Oscar Isaac. Uh, so I will say that I did see something that kind of blew me away uh, called Primal Rage, The Legend of Conga. Oh. You guys familiar with this movie? It's only a couple years old. No. Primal it's, Rage. It's on um, Prime and it is basically a Bigfoot movie, but oh. it's a fucking great Bigfoot movie. And the acting is really good. It looks like it was shot in the Pacific Northwest. They hung around for all the credits to see where it was shot. And it was shot in a bunch of places in like Oregon, yeah, nice. California. Um, but this Bigfoot is pretty fucking terrifying because it's smart and it uses and makes its own weapons and stuff. So it's got like, ah. it's got like an axe that it's <laughs> hanging on its waist and all oh, this shit. shit. I... Just really enjoyed it. There is, I will just put out there for everybody who's got, you know, weird trigger stuff. There is an uncomfortable Bigfoot rape in this movie. As in he is doing it or he is having it done to him? Well, what do you think? Do you think I don't that know. somebody rapes Bigfoot, Vanessa? Yes, they could tie him up. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of people's fantasy, right? God, you're probably <laughs> right on that. I'm uncomfortable with the fact that you said it's a lot of people's and then Eric was like, you're probably right. <laughs> He's looking up in, you know, kind of coyly. <laughs> probably right. <laughs> Have you ever, uh, I don't know who's talking about it, but you look up uh, like dinosaur sex on Amazon and there's oh. all these weird ass books that yes. people have written. Yes, there like, is. There are dinosaur sure romance are. books. Definitely Bigfoot. I am friends well. with a writer who writes like, it's not quite furry porn, but it's not crazy it's far not, off. not furry porn. She's making a living with it. So, you wow. know. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> something new to try. <laughs> I do see you writing something down over there. So. Dinosaur <laughs> porn. Let me just. Uh... Wow. That sounds insane. Pen out. So <laughs> now when I think of like Bigfoot movies, I think of like sci-fi original film level. Is this asylum quality content or is this like Oh, this is way better than that. The acting is really good. Oh, I didn't oh, recognize oh. anybody in it. Um hmm. there's it's it's just this area. The native the Native Americans seem to know that this creature is kind of out there in the woods and they are like, Hey, you don't fuck with that thing. And uh, these two people get lost in the woods and then one of them escapes and he's got to go back and 
he's uh, enlisted this, damn. you know, kind of shaman type characters oh, telling yeah. him what they're up against. And I was like, I was, I mean, through the whole movie, I was just like, this is way better than I thought it was going to be based <laughs> on the name nice. Primal Rage, the Legend of Conga. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, well, uh, speaking of local-ish uh, films, uh, I watched Pig. Oh, I've oh, been yeah. very curious about this. Tell one. me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it was not what I personally expected it to be because a lot of people had said John Wick. And I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds interesting. Like John Wick, like, what? you know, angry that your pig got taken out for revenge, which it is. But imagine that set in Portland with all the trappings of Portland, like <laughs> hipster Portland. <laughs> it is a John Wick, a pacifist John Wick set in hipster Portland, where he is a renowned chef who has disappeared off the map. And, uh, Somebody grabs his pig, and now he has to reemerge on the map to try to find it. So you're not the first person to tell me it wasn't what you expected, and I would say that is solely the trailer's fault because they sell you the idea yeah. that it's a oh, John Wick type movie. Yeah, completely. I mean, he. I, th I think the characters are really interesting. I think that the film is. It was. I mean, it was good, but it was also like. <sighs> Okay, just let me give you like one teeny tiny tidbit that'll that'll hopefully enlighten you a little bit. So, like I said, he's a renowned chef. He gets to Portland. Um, he's trying to get information about the pig. So he goes to a secret underground city sort of um, space, like in, you know, how we have underground Seattle. It's like underground Portland where you can go and put your name on a board and get beat up by people. And since he's this big shot chef, all these other chefs show up because it's kind of a chef fighting ring <laughs> and punch Whoa. him in the face because like they're so over his previous famous chef shit. It's like, Por it's oh Portland. It's Portland. It's like everyone's Portland. Um, Is there something special about this pig other than his attachment to it? No, oh, okay. I'm well, okay. I'm sorry. Yes, it is a truffle hunting pig. So truffles um, are worth a great amount of value in the cooking community and um, they go for a lot of money. And so getting this pig um, can either make or break somebody else's livelihood. Okay. I saw this is streaming now. So yeah. Uh, final... Your strange tomato rating on this is oh a oh my god is it positive? It's a positive. It is a positive. I just don't know if I want to recommend it to you guys. <laughs> like well, the weird part is the the little bit I read about it. Yeah, talked about it being almost more a study of grief and loss than any kind of a crazy action movie. I would I would say it is. Um, it is a lot about loss. Like there is something to be said. That's the good part about it. Is there's a lot in there about people not being able to deal with. Um, the, the things they've lost in their lives. And that is a really powerful, there are multiple powerful moments based around that. Mm -hmm. But the actual trappings of being like, oh yes, and this lady makes the perfect bread. And like, and, and this person has his like fancy sports car because he's cool in Portland. And he, I mean, like there's just so much hipster. Put a burn on it. Yeah, there's so much fucking hipster. It's crazy. Um, and I didn't expect that. But but it is interesting. It's an interesting film. Do we get a Nick Cage freakout scene? It's actually a really good performance by Nick Cage because 
it's so quiet on his end. He hardly says anything through the whole film, but you can see it all across his face. So he he does an excellent job. All right. Yeah. That'll work. Right up there with the one where he has to kill all the uh, Chuck E. Cheese-like oh, characters Amish. where he doesn't say a word. <laughs> I still try. I, I've got to see that still. still it's not list. great, but it is entertaining. <laughs> Speaking of controversial opinions of between us of films, mm-hmm. I watched uh, Last Night in Soho. Oh, oh my God, tiebreaker. Fucking fantastic. It's, uh... Not only did I think it was, oh, it's good. It's fucking great. Holy shit. Really? I, I would have <laughs> thought you wouldn't have liked that one. That's weird. Oh, my God. Well, okay, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I thought you would like it because you like good movies, Eric. <laughs> oh, my God. Look, I like some bad movies. I admit this, but... Oh, I. <laughs> And we don't. Yeah. <laughs> but still, it, is, it was such a shock oh. as I was watching it because it was dragging me out of the film going, why didn't Vanessa like this? This movie is great. Yeah. I guess I, I need to rewatch it, I guess. It's but like, like Edgar Wright how? taking all the shit he's learned from all of his films <laughs> and it's, here you go. I don't know how, like, I, okay. <laughs> I don't know how you guys liked it as much as you liked it. Like there, there's so much of it that loved it. I think he said, yeah, oh, my fantastic. God. I don't know. Okay. When okay. I was talking about, you know, not wanting to raid on letterboxd earlier before we started recording. Right. And you know, not wanting you to see, this is the one I didn't want to put. Cause it's probably <laughs> going to end up at like four and a half or five stars on there. Oh my God. Mine would have been like a solid three, maybe two and a half. Wow. <laughs> liked it enough to sit through it. I mean, there was, you know, that maybe there was, the theater wasn't the best and like there, there were like, I watched it, was it at one home. Of those, well, I, that's what I mean is like, <laughs> and, they were and that's serving just it. food. I, when I watched it at home, I was like, God, I wish I had gone yes. to the theater for this. Really? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I liked it. The, the colors, the way the it was shot, the way it looked. And... Well, um, <laughs> all right. I, let's see, which one do I want to talk about? I saw a new movie that I didn't love. And then Why I saw, are you looking at me? And then I saw an old movie that I liked way too much. <laughs> and now you're not looking the, at me. I'll talk about the old movie. Uh, I saw this nice. movie called Link, L-I-N-K. Oh, I know this one. And it is directed by uh, Richard Franklin, who directed mm-hmm. Road Games. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, is it Road Games? Yeah, yeah Road, Road Games. Games. And then mm-hmm. talked about a couple of his movies on this show mm-hmm. before. It says, it's like 86. It's got Terrence Stamp and Elizabeth Shue. And it is a killer monkey movie. Yeah. Oh, cool. And she she goes to be an assistant for this guy who's got um, a couple of chimpanzees at his place and he's doing all these studies on him. And Link is the, the main chimpanzee who dresses in a in a tuxedo. Oh. And then starts <laughs> killing everybody. Oh my god. It first of all, Terrence Stamp in eighty six with his crazy hair and everything, I was like, God, this guy should have been so much bigger. Yeah. But also just the balls to dye the hair of an orangutan and call him a chimpanzee (laughs) because he was a little bigger looking than a regular chimpanzee. I was like, wow, you really content for the audience in this. I was like, they'll never notice. (laughs) Nobody knows what these things really look like, right? I I really enjoyed it. Um, It is very uh, Hitchcockian. But with uh, chimps. In yes. Texas. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Because, and Elizabeth Shue also never got as big as she should have. She, no. yeah. This is right after Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. She is so beautiful. 
and she carries this movie because Terrence Stamp leaves pretty quick. And it's just her acting against, you know, a chimpanzee and orangutan. Yeah. And she's fucking great. Nice. So, are, are we seeing like Richard Franklin becoming our new Walter Hill here? We're going to start seeing a bunch of his shit and being surprised how much we like it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Because he also did Psycho 2, which I think is oh. fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, not nearly as interesting as a uh, monkey in a suit, but um, <laughs> I checked out a, a series, I think it was on Netflix. Um, have you, either of you seen Hellbound? I saw the first episode. Fuck. Sure. <laughs> Fuck is this thing? Uh, so I saw season one of Hellbound. It's, um, it's a show where there's, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it's in Korea and a one day a being two beings emerge from a portal and um <laughs> drag a go into a cafe grab a dude and start like throwing him around until he's a big bloody mess and then like beating on him then open the portal and drag him away and the idea is that um people are starting to get these messages from supposedly an angel telling them they are going to hell in X number of days Whoa. and hell is literally coming to drag them in. And uh, so there are all these people that start to become obsessed with this. And um, it, it does that fun thing of um, a couple episodes and being like many years later and like the whole world has built these, you know, statues around it. And there's a re religion formed around this thing and no one's <laughs> actually sure what it really, really is though. Nobody seems to have asked a lot of questions, but it's, really graphic, really terrifying. It reminds me a lot of um, Attack on Titan, the the comic series, but like, ugh, I don't know. I don't yeah, even know. And, what to and say. when you say they, they go into this cafe, they bust into this yeah, cafe. They break They're through. They're like the Hulk. Have you seen any of this, Eric? No, I don't think so. I've these, seen the these poster. beings are... Yeah. They all look like the Hulk. They're hugely muscular. And you can't stuff. dent them. Like a guy goes up and um, shoots one in the face at one point and nothing, just nothing. Like there's nothing you can do to stop these guys. Like they will come and they will get you. And you're not going to like get dragged to hell like gently. They're going to throw you against stuff, <laughs> punch you a bunch, break probably every bone in your body, then drag well, you, you know, to it's hell. hell. I mean, it's not going to be a catered chauffeur kind of trip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I... I didn't finish any of it because I thought the effects looked pretty cheap. Yeah, I I don't I yeah I, I wasn't in love with the effects or the the monster kind of I, you you can almost see like the lines drawn around yeah. it, <laughs> but at the same time the concept really pulled me in and I was so curious where they were going with it, and it it's really strong. It's a really strong story. Do they like you were saying the religion was built around it, but nobody really w knows what it is. Do we know what it is by the end of the? No, but we have a few more questions that are helpful. Okay. Yeah. So we we know more about what's happening, but we don't know what the answer is. All right. So, so we're looking at a season two then. Yes, okay. absolutely. We're looking at season two. I think it's based off of a webcomic. So it's an ongoing series that's been that's been in existence for a while now. Cool. Yeah. Find the source where you can. <laughs> yeah. I won't say it's a happy show. So if anyone's well, looking for a happy show, this is not it. <laughs> Okay, well, I watched another movie in my quest to, you know, 2021 up for the end of the year. Oh, sure. Uh, Gaia, as pronounced oh, G-A-I-A. Yeah. Have you guys seen this one? I have. Yeah. I saw part of it. Yeah. It took me like <laughs> three days to watch the entire... I got to a point where I'm going, well, this is fine. It's not bad. No. Right. But it's also not that good. It's certainly not exciting. No. No. 
And so I got like a certain amount through and then, okay, I'll watch the rest tomorrow and I didn't quite make it. But by that point, I'm like, okay, I got to stop, but I got to come back and finish it because there's like 20 minutes left and let's find yeah. out what happened. And it's, it's good. It's neat. It's, um, it's got clever enough ideas. I wish right. more was done with it, with the, like the fungus stuff. I was yeah. like, this is interesting. The, the that was what I was going to say. It yeah. got a great concept yeah. and not not a great execution. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, three people in a cabin, one in a, what should be more of a horrifying situation, but she doesn't really seem to mind it She rolls much. with it surprisingly well. <laughs> so She's just like, like okay, okay, cool. What, what are you guys doing? Great. This is one of the more frustrating kind of movies. You know, mm-hmm. it's fun to talk about a movie that's just so bad you tear it apart or mm-hmm. so bad it's good or a great movie. This is kind of like, I watched a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I sat through 90-ish minutes of a thing, and here we are. Not going to make your uh, best of 21 no. list? No. Okay. Did you say you watched a little bit of it and just... I, I watched about half of it, out. and I was like, this is a uh, this is a slow, dry film. Usually you get like that last 10 minutes in a movie, and a slow, dry film pays off, and sure. you go, whoa. No, this is just... Slow. <laughs> it's just slow. Keeps it going all the way to the credits. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, how about we take a little break, you guys? And then when we come back, we built this city on rock and roll. Spaceships. Starships. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I missed I missed your cue. All right. Oh well. We'll be right back. Lego City, the Space Center is always busy. The new Lego City Space Shuttle is ready to deploy the satellite. You can build the rocket, place the astronaut, and blast off into space to make the repairs. The new space collection from Lego City, each set sold separately. We have returned. Vanessa, Starships. I Tell know. me what your favorite Starship song is. Oh. Um, do, do you know? I don't. I only know one Starship song. I only know one, me, I so. think, which is the one you were saying. So. Oh, Jane is the right answer. Do you remember the song, Jane? If I heard it, I bet I would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, put Jane in our uh, commercial segment there. And see oh how quickly gosh. we get thrown off. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh. I like Starships, like Star Trek Starships. I have a bunch of them, little models. Oh, there you go. Well, why don't you tell us what you chose for this episode? <laughs> well, the Starship movie that I chose was not Star Trek, but it was <laughs> the 2009 film Pandorum. Hello? 
has been through here. Don't move. You just wake up. Yeah. You never make it. Those things out there. They didn't see me human. They're fast. No! They're stronger than you know. They come after you run. You run and you don't look back. Help! What's happened to us? We're becoming like them. Oh my god. My wife. I'm gonna find her before those animals do. I'm assuming that help will be coming. Save your pipe. Some of it is. What happened to the passenger? There's something wrong with him. How do you think you would react if you knew the truth? Did either of you guys check this thing out? Yeah, I saw it when it came out and I don't remember much about it. It's like space insanity, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think Absolutely. I liked it. Yeah. Um, Check it out. I, I was watching it and the whole way through, I kept feeling like, did I see this movie? I'm pretty sure I did, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm like, this is... It. Anyway. So, Pandorum, uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 30% from critics. Oh, my. <laughs> 49% from audience. Budget of $33 million. Box office of 20.6 million dollars oh no real bummer real bummer this movie um directed by german director christian albert he's done 17 projects uh mostly german stuff and uh currently is working on a german tv series called schloburn 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 there's like a there's like a weird thing happening with the o it's not an umlaut so i'm i'm a little lost um the writer travis miller has done Seven projects, um, including mostly stuff I've never heard of. Uh, Infinity Chamber, Street Gun, and he's done some pr- uh, producing work as well. And the story is uh, also based off of something by uh, Chris- Christian Albert. So a lot of lot of very heavy handed stuff going on with the director here, starring a couple of a couple of people we recognize. Ben Foster as Corporal Bauer. He's been in 60 things, mostly scumbags or drug <laughs> addict parts. Um, and we would remember him here on Strange Eons Radio as uh, being the weirdo who shows up in the town in 30 Days of Night. Oh, okay. Yeah. He also, uh, he started off in the Flash Forward TV series, which he was in 26 episodes in. Um, he landed a role in Get Over It and then has since done 22 episodes of Six Feet Under, Leave No Trace, Hell or High Water. Um, so he's been around. You would definitely recognize him if you saw him. Also starring Dennis Quaid as Lieutenant Peyton, 107 projects, including my favorite, Day After Tomorrow, but also A Dog's Journey. <laughs> And also a dog's purpose, and also SpongeBob SquarePants as Grandpa Redbeard. He's also in Battle for Terra, Dragonheart, Jaws 3D, and uh, his first film is Crazy Mama, where he played the uncredited role of bellhop. I forgot about Jaws 3D. I did not know any of this. I was like Dennis Quaid, sir. He, um, he and Leah Thompson 
hooked up then after that. After because oh, no, she's in that, and I think I don't know if they were married or what. Just but, like together. Oh wow! Something wow. about the two of them. That's a that's a good looking couple. Yeah, especially back then. Yeah. Oh my god, that's incredible. Um, we also have Anche uh, Trau as Nadia. She's been in forty five things. She's also from Germany. Starting to see a German pattern here. Um, <laughs> uh, the only thing you would recognize her in is uh, Man of Steel as Feora. Ooh, Feora UI, whatever that is. We have uh, Chung Kung, um, C-U-N-G, Kung Li as Mon. He's been in 24 things, including Tekken, Grandmaster, and Man with Iron Fist. He's an MMA fighter with a martial arts background. And last but not least, Norman Reedus is in this, <laughs> briefly, as a dude <laughs> named Shepard, who lasts for maybe five minutes. Been in 84 things, including Daryl and Walking Dead. Um... The story of this, so it's really interesting because they start with a big old, this is where we are. They give you like a lot of info right up top, um, which I don't think they need to. I think they could have like, you know, surprised us with some of this, but that's okay. We're on a <laughs> ship named Elysium. Um, it's launched from Earth as Earth's last hope. It's meant to make its way to a newly discovered inhabitable planet called Tannis. The ship carries 60,000 people and um, those people are put into hypersleep it will take 123 years to land where they are going. Oh my. This is just like a, a like a crawl a title page or something. Yeah, it's like a bunch of yeah, it's a bunch of like text that shows up, but there's also a little bit of a reenactment where they are showing like the the bridge with like Earth um sending a message to Elysium uh saying you're our last hope. Good luck and good night. <laughs> it's like really. Um, and then we're, I'm like, why is this important? But I, I mean, it kind of comes back later, kind of, but not really. Like they really didn't need to do it, but that's okay. We wake up. See, this is the real start. Dude wakes up on ship naked and covered in goo. Uh, he starts peeling goo and dead As one skin. does in a spaceship. <laughs> right? <laughs> he peels all this like old dead skin off of himself. He immediately pukes and then he starts stumbling around in his underwear, as you do. Uh, he discovers his name is Bauer, but has no idea who he is, where he is, and what is going on. Um, the power is fluctuating on and off, and several other crew member pods seem to be empty. Um, he does, however, discover a pod for a dude named Lieutenant Peyton and starts banging on it in an attempt to wake him up. That is our Quaid character. Uh, Peyton does wake eventually through some ship uh, issues happening and um, is trying, they're trying to work together to figure out what's going on. Um, and slowly their memories are coming back to them. So when you're put into hypersleep in this universe, um, you have this weird disorientation when you come out where it can take up to a week for you to remember what's happening because your brain is just, that's just a, a side effect. So uh, so what we do seem to figure out, though, is that Bauer has knowledge of the ship's nuclear reactor and power core. Uh, he discovers he is the ship's head mechanical engineer and um, ship be real. So Peyton, <laughs> who's the de facto uh, captain of the ship at this point, insists that they must get the ship back online or else everyone is going to die and Earth's last hope will be over. Bauer climbs into the air ducts uh, to try and figure out how to get out of the room because the power has, uh, has locked them in the little space so they need to get out of there and he immediately falls through the air ducts into a sort of a um, hallway and he sees this girl down the hall who's sort of dressed like Mad Max style and she's <laughs> running around and he's like hey yo and starts like running after her because everyone's supposed to be asleep 
uh, down the corridor, uh, he finds a dead man, another crew member, hanging from the ceiling. Um, and there's also a strange sound coming from down the hallway. He now discovers that there is a weird humanoid creature that seems sort of like a mutant. It's not quite a zombie, not quite a vampire. It's really pale, really like intense looking. It reminded me a lot of the ghouls from the Fallout games. Um, and it starts chasing him and they are fast and they're brutal. But instead it uh, grabs the body that's hanging like a nice little, almost not trap, but sort of like something to distract it and starts to eat it. So Bauer then runs into Norman Reedus who starts to tell him what's going on with the ship. It has been overrun with these cannibal creatures. He doesn't explain like where they're from or why they got there or what they're doing there, but they're there in mass. Uh, they seem to be snacking on the passengers and anyone who's been uh, taking their turns crewing the ship over this long haul flight. Um, and that's actually been going on for some time. In fact, it's been going on long enough. There are factions of different people on the ship. There's, yeah, there's like the people who um, are are more of like the hunters. Um, there's there's one guy who doesn't speak any English. He was like a a gardener, and he shows up, and he's like a, a well renowned warrior, <laughs> and he helps uh, uh, Bauer get around the ship. Norman Reedus is then uh, stabbed, of course, and eaten by the creatures. <laughs> So Bauer remembers he has a wife and becomes obsessed with trying to find her. Um, and of course, throughout the film, we start to learn more and more about this woman that he's uh, seeking. Um, he, As he makes his way through the ship, he is joined along the way with um, the, the farmer, Mon, and a woman uh, who had run away from him initially, Nadia, who um, is really secretive about herself and what's going on. She's They're both clearly in survival mode and have been doing so for probably you know, like a decade. Both Mon and Nadio are incredible fighters. They manage to keep the cannibals off their back, um, but they're less likely when they run into the old ship uh, Cook Leland, um, which has a pretty cool scene. So you're you're not meeting a ton of living crew members. There's a lot of dead bodies throughout this film, but um, this, this cook is like freaking nuts. He's like drawn all this stuff in his little like part of the ship that he's walled off and... He's like feeding them stuff, but he's feeding them like engine oil. And of course, <laughs> yeah, he's like, mm, made this up special. It's real good. And it's like, what is happening? Um, and of course, it turns out that he is trying to eat them as well. He's also turned to cannibalism because um, basically it seems like nobody knows how to figure out how to work the food system on this ship, I guess. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so basically they're trying to make their way into um, the center of the ship to get that nuclear reactor going. But meanwhile, um, on Peyton's part of the ship, so the captain is stuck still in this room. He's trying to um, help Bauer through like a comm system, tell him where to go on the ship. And another crew member falls into his area. It's this really like young, handsome dude named Gallo. But Gallo seems deeply insane and is constantly t telling Peyton to give up on Bauer and to evacuate the ship. Um, Gallo seems to know a lot, but isn't saying much. And everything's a little weird around the edges with him. You keep waiting for him to just straight up like stab Peyton. Um, throughout the film, um, there is this constant discussion of Pandorum, which is what you alluded to earlier, Kelly, uh, which is 
something that happens in space travel um, that causes a psychosis and violent behavior, usually murder. Pandorum is responsible for previous flights um, where the captain released all of the passengers into space and destroyed an entire earlier mission with thousands of people just off they go. <laughs> and you can see them screaming in their pods as they're like watching themselves go into nothingness. <laughs> um, Bauer seems to be suffering from this. He spends a lot of the film kind of trying to fight hallucinations and keeps himself together. So throughout the film, you're getting this really neat thing where you're not really sure quite what's real and who has Pandorum and who doesn't. So that's that's pretty fun. This, this film is truly fucking crazy. <laughs> I, I can see why this was not a success when it came out. It's, it's weird. It's, it's got a lot of those, I don't know, early 2000s tropes of like fast paced cutting and like everything's really dark and there's some like crazy beat music going underneath. Um, but I think in retrospect, it's actually a pretty decent film. The the twist it takes near the end, I'm not going to give it away, but it is pretty freaking nuts. So, um, are you championing a Halloween three style resurgence for this film? Uh, not that, not not that, not that big. <laughs> I think it's. I don't think you. I don't think we should say it sucks because um, I don't think it sucks. But I wouldn't say it's like incredible. I wouldn't say it's like a a gem. But if you're into sci-fi, it is definitely enjoyable. Um, a little bit of trivia about this. Um, the tagline for this movie is, don't fear the end of the world, fear what happens next. <laughs> um, this was meant to be the first film in a trilogy. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. Which is weird because of, yeah. <laughs> there, it's strange that that would be the case. Um, the film began life as a preliminary script written by Travis Milloy uh, in late 90s. The story was, it feels like it, the story was originally set on a prison ship named Pandorum, transporting thousands of Earth's deadliest prisoners to another planet. The cannibal hunters um, were the end result of the pris prisoner's degeneration. Um, the characters played by Anti True and Chang Lei were inmates. Ben Foster's character was supposed to be a non-prisoner who did not trust anyone. Um, believing no studio would want to make the film, Milloy thought about making it a, as a low-budget film shot in an abandoned paper mill um, with un unknown actors. However, it attracted the attention of filmmaker Paul W.S. Anderson and Jeremy Bolt, and they gave it to Impact Pictures, who greenlit it. The producers gave the script to director, German dude, who was uh, <laughs> struck by the similarities to his own screenplay, titled Nowhere. So he basically smushed the two together and put it out. Um, it was originally meant to be shot for $20,000. Um, ben, oh. I know, <laughs> Ben Foster insisted um, in the film on eating actual live insects. Uh, there was a scene where he is offered an insect that he, uh, as food, instead of uh, using special effects or dead ones, he went ahead and went for the real thing. And what kind of bug did he consume? Do you I remember? it's a giant cricket. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's like it's it's a pretty big dude. It's the food of the future. There you go. It's no wiggling octopi. <laughs> there is a Facebook group of cult followers of this film, and both the director and writer have joined to show their support for a potential sequel. Guys, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Let fetch go. Um, <laughs> the Pandorum disorder is supposedly referring to orbital dysfunctional syndrome, which I guess is a real thing. Um, there's a child mutant in it that's played by the director's daughter. 
It was shot in Germany in an ab- abandoned power plant in Berlin. It looked the setting looks freaking rad. It's it's a crazy space. Um and there is an Australian rock band calling themselves Pandora after seeing the film. Final thought. Did you like it? You know, it wasn't a waste of time. <laughs> so I guess I liked it. I mean, like I wouldn't I don't think I need to watch it again, but like I'm glad I saw it because I think it does some really interesting sci-fi stuff, but I'm a huge sci-fi nerd and I have patience for things other people aren't going to have patience for. So you, I mean, you mention all of this and none of it sounds familiar to me. I know I've seen this. Um, do you think that without the opening crawl mm-hmm. and just dropping us in, wouldn't that have been a little cooler? That way we, cooler, yeah. way fucking cooler. I mean, it would have been so slick if we just woke up as a like naked dude. <laughs> with skin that he has to rip, like pull off of himself. And yeah. I mean, that looks so fucking cool. <laughs> and like, he's pulling tubes out and you're just like, what is happening right now? And if we just followed that storyline without any information as to what wow. the ship is, why he's there and him slowly getting memories back across the whole thing, that would have been so neat yeah. to figure out what that mission is with him. I'm already more intrigued by that concept yeah. than yeah. the film as it is. That sounds are we, um, are we, Finding out that like there's been generations of people who have already, I mean, he's waking up now, but people have woke up hundreds of years back. There's, that is the question. Um, And it seems like, yeah, I mean, the, the mutants, like they never tell you. They have to be. They're, they're humanoid. That's for sure. My theory, because they never tell you, my theory is that maybe the mutants were people who got exposed to radiation on the ship or the, the nuclear, you know. Um, there, there is a nest of them sleeping literally underneath the engine of the ship, the nuclear powered engine of the ship. So <clears throat> like uh, my theory is that the, they've been altered in their DNA through that. Right. But at the same time, you know, the food supply, I don't know, 60,000 humans to snack off of. I don't know how many generations you can get through off of that. Well, if you breed them, you know. And they, <laughs> uh, you know what? They do eat each other too. Right. So okay. that, that could be... I feel like I need to give this another try. I would, you know what? It didn't suck. It was a fun, it was a fun popcorn film. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll dive in with mine because it's more crazy. (laughs) More crazy. (laughs) In a very, very different way though. Talking about 2001, The American Astronaut. Johnny R. 
bring Johnny R back to Earth and I get rich. That's it. Either of you seen or heard of this one? This Never sounds even heard so of it. familiar. It's Mary pretty Hansen. obscure. It's pretty. Does strange. it star Billy Bob Thornton? No. <laughs> okay. But it could. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes ratings: we've got sixty-three from the critics, eighty-nine from the audience. Wow. Uh, the budget: no idea. Couldn't find anything. Just everybody constantly referencing. Boy, this is a low-budget movie. Wow. Which it is. Uh, box office, I'm assuming this is a festival thing of $38,000. Uh, directed by Corey McCabe, who also directed Crazy and Thief, Stingray, Sam, Deep Astronomy and the Romantic Sciences, and The Ketchup and Mustard Man. All household standards, right? <laughs> Ketchup and Mustard Man. I really want to see just the poster. <laughs> there you go. They're written by him and stars him. Oh, God. Uh, he did star in a couple other things, though. Hallelujah, Gorilla Revival playing. Sometimes <laughs> I shave with French dressing. <laughs> There's a lot of condiment-related things going on. <laughs> yeah, he's a, an interesting guy. And uh, also starring Rocco Sisto, who is in Donnie Brasco. After Hours, one of the most underrated Martin Scorsese films. Mm. Uh, Evil, the TV show. Yeah. And Innocent Blood. So we seen this guy before whether we know it or not uh and gregory russell cook who's in just tons of tv and Anne annie golden who's in hair and 12 monkeys well this movie's weird it starts <laughs> off it's black and white shot in black and white in 2001 which i half think is a budgetary choice <laughs> like, well i don't <laughs> that it to... was shot in 2001 or <laughs> <laughs> yeah that it was black and white so you avoid having to worry about making things look oh, certain ways interesting it starts off with like a class about space. Like there's this planet, this planet. We discovered these asteroids or we called it something else, but an asteroid belt. And on this one was the perfect place to put a bar. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, now I'm more intrigued. Yeah. Spaceship is, I'm pretty sure, a still photo that <laughs> moved across. And wow. crashes on the ground, sort of. The way it lands is not pretty. And as a guy, there's a scene in this that's really oddly hard to watch, where the guy gets up after traveling from Earth, I'm assuming, and dry shaves himself with just like a, those crappy blue Bic razors. Oh. And he's just sitting there. It's like, this really hurts, man. <laughs> oh. Not recommended. Uh, he's traveling with a large cat. Not a tiger but a big house cat <laughs> and um he's going into the bar taking the cat with him in this little container and apparently he's a you find out as the movie goes on he's a mover of unique items so he's bringing this cat to this bar hmm. some good humor in the movie it's real dry you know british kind of humor just straight and simple it's just so weird. Anyways, he gives he goes into the bartender and said, I've got the cat. Like, yeah, I've got the cat. You know what I need? Yeah, I got what you need. So they go in the back room to meet, and the guy hands him a box, uh, like a large suitcase or a large um, briefcase kind of thing, and says, is this what I want? Yeah. Open it up. Look inside. He looks inside. That's right. It's a real live girl. I'm like, it's a what? <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Are they swapping a cat for a girl? Okay. All right. <laughs> and, a, and a girl that's in a 
probably what looked like a typewriter case. You remember those old typewriter right. cases about that big? I'm like, do do you get to see the real live girl no. in there? Oh, okay. But the light, you know, shows up. It's sort of like a Pulp Fiction esque kind of thing where the light shines out, and the guy's like, "Oh, great! Now I can take this and take it to the person I need to take it to." But before that, he has to go to the bathroom. <laughs> the pilot needs to take a bathroom break, and some guy sends two people in, like he's in trouble. He's going to get beat up or something. This is where you realize this is also a musical. Oh my God. <laughs> what? And these two guys come in and sing this wonderfully stupid, fun, we're here to get you kind of song while the guy's in the stall. Oh my God. <laughs> but the whole thing actually amounts to they just take an instamatic camera and take a photo of him and then run away. So the song is weird, fun, it's pretty good. I'm like, oh, okay, this looks, this is encouraging. I'm liking this. No idea what the, I still don't know what the photograph was for. We just brought it out and gave it to a guy who turns out to be like his, his buddy. These two friend, guys are friends of a guy who's the pilot's buddy. And this night at the bar is dance contest night. Oh my God. Apparently the director, writer, star is in a band as well. I don't remember the name. It's in my notes, but so his band performs with a different singer and the guy gets up and dances this really bad. One of the guys in the bar gets up and dances this really weird kind of karate move dance or he's jumping around and just doing weird shit. And then him and the, the pilot and his buddy getting this macho man walk to go up to the front of the bar and dance in this funny little choreographed number. Of course, they win. Get these giant trophies. <laughs> Your expression is perfect for this movie. <laughs> what? <laughs> My brain is like melting. So now he's got to take, now that he's done, you know, partying down, getting, winning his trophy, he's got to take his cat to um, Jupiter. Now at this point, we learn that Jupiter is entirely men and Venus is entirely women. Mm. And on Venus, the women, in order to not mutate and be able to reproduce, require a new boy, 16, to join them. And then he stays with them until he dies. And then they replace him with a new guy. So that's what he's doing is he's taking this woman in the typewriter box to Jupiter to explain it, to change him for a boy that he can take to Venus. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what, what does Jupiter look like? Jupiter is a gas giant. So right. No, is it a, are they acting like it's a planet you can stand on or something? Yeah. Yep. I would say these guys need to study a little more and astronomy. Is it meant to be like funny that she's in a type? Like, is she a woman or a baby? Like, I'm not sure. Okay. It, is it like meant to be sort of like it's bigger on the inside? Well, he does <laughs> sort of the when he does the exchange with the guy. Yeah. He, he he doesn't go there with the guy who runs Jupiter, knowing why he's there. So he comes there with the woman in a box. Said, "Hey, open it up. Look what it is. That's right. It's a woman. Now, if you keep her." Feed her, train her nice. She'll grow up to be a full-blown woman. Oh, my God. So, okay, apparently, so it's like a sea monkey kind of thing. Right. Aren't they all? <laughs> Don't reveal our secrets. <laughs> all right. The boy he's picking up on Jupiter is famous on Jupiter and is beloved. So, that's why it's a, a, a tough sell to get this guy to trade him. Because he is, and this is the actual character's name. The boy who actually saw a woman's breast. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to Jupiter and you, Jupiter looks like uh, 
the Apple commercial for 1984. Mm-hmm. It was a bunch of sad looking guys look like they've been working in the coal mine all day. And then they introduce the boy who has actually seen a woman's breast to come out, do a little song and dance. And oh then God. it ends with him going, it was round and soft. Mm-hmm. Go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So yeah. This, Can confirm. He did was, actually see a woman's breast. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh my God. So again, it's another good, another good song. Now, while all this is going on, some other guy is back at the bar killing everyone there because he's hunting the pilot for some reason. Comes out that he searches for the pilot whenever it's his birthday, the the pilot's birthday, or his birthday, the hunter's birthday, and kills anybody he has no reason to kill. (laughs) Did David Lynch make this movie? Oh, man, he could have. So then they take him to the, well, they pick up another guy. I'll let it kind of just fade off here, because if you're interested in what I've said so far, you'll probably want to see this film. And there's no real reason to describe what happens for the rest, because it just continues to be weird. I kind of want to see this film. How did you watch it? Uh, it's just a rental. Oh, okay. It's just a rental on I don't want to see it that badly. <laughs> okay, I'll double check the problem with the film. And uh-huh. I'm about to the point where he goes to get the kid off of Jupiter. I'm like, how is this not in every midnight movie around the country someplace every night? But And then it just drags. It hits this lull and just, they're like, damn it. And if he would have done maybe two or three more songs in that 20, 30 minutes, I think he would have had a Rocky Horror almost level. Wow. Crazy. Because it is really weird and really fun and has great, quirky, weird characters like his alarm clock. The pilot's alarm clock is, what did your father teach you? What did your father teach you? And he keeps saying that till he stands up and says something like, you always want to make sure you eat the cantaloupe or some line like that. And then the alarm turns off. You are now awake. (laughs) (laughs) So it's got a lot of fun and it's a lot of humor. So about halfway through, I'm going, damn, I'm losing this. This film's losing me. Bummer. Mm -hmm. But uh, does it get you back though in the third act? It, the end is, again, when he gets to Venus, it gets really weird and fun again. My first note on the movie is pacing's really strange. It's really well at first and slogs in the middle and then kind of, it, it, it waves. It's kind of like, oh, wow, oh, oh, oh. Well, it's, it's very, very strangely paced. If you're familiar with these bands, this is sort of how the film felt to me. It was like watching a movie created by the Dead Milkman and the Cramps. <laughs> Are you familiar with either of those bands, Vanessa? Uh, no, and okay. I didn't know you were talking about bands for the first half of that sentence. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what is a, why a dead milkman? <laughs> what are we doing here? Okay. <laughs> so it's it's like that, and the music's reminiscent of that kind of a oh, band. That's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> We've got like three notes in here about how I can't believe this isn't huge. Oh, now I know why it's not. <laughs> The dance scene I was talking about where the guy was doing karate moves and all strange stuff, the director stood off camera and just yelled at the guy, like, do a karate move, dip down, rotate around. (laughs) And so the guy just danced to whatever he was yelling to him. So that worked out quite well. (laughs) All the costumes for the women when you get to Venus, which look pretty good, but this goes back to the black and white, were made of shower curtains. Oh my gosh. And if... I hadn't read that, I would not have known. 
Hmm. So they're really well done. The DVD commentary is very weird or very unique version. He basically just recorded a Q&A at the Brooklyn Pool Hall of him and a bunch of people that watch the movie. I like it. (laughs) That's initiative. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And a lot less prepared. (laughs) Just go. Uh, the Corey McCabe, the writer, director, is a songwriter and lead singer of the band The Bill Nyer Show. Uh, they And they were together until uh, 2011. Uh, he wrote, directed, composed the songs, and also helped paint the backdrops. <laughs> so it is, it is a film by. Definitely works for this guy. Uh, his personal preoccupation to the project and what he names as his inspirations. Space operas, Psychobilly, Monty Python. German Expressionism, Cowboy Movies, Lewis Carroll, Film Noir, Busby Berkeley, The Wide-Eyed Innocence of Childhood, Ed Wood, and Dadaism, which is avant- a form of avant-garde art. Right. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, that covers it. <laughs> Entertainment Weekly described it, imagine a Laurel and Hardy script directed by Salvador Dali. Oh, my God. What, what year again? 2001. 2001, huh. Weird. I feel like I got to see this. It is, it's, I, even though the lulls I was telling you about, I'm absolutely thrilled I watched it. How did, <laughs> I mean, was this just something in the research because we were mm-hmm. doing Starship, you ended up. Yep. I and, looked, well, what I did is I, the problem with looking up spaceship movies, mm-hmm. a huge chunk of them are these giant big budget things yeah. we've all seen and heard of. So I, mm-hmm. I went low budget spaceship and dove into that. <laughs> And I read this one, and uh, I did read that, okay, it was going to be a musical. And I was like, okay, I just got to check this out, see what the <laughs> hell's going on. It's either going to be an absolute cluster, and I'll turn off after 10 minutes and find something else, or find out what it was, which is a uneven but well worth watching kind of weird film. I'm putting it on the list. <laughs> that sounds Crazy. I, I will say that first setup that you start to describe sounds like a plot point in uh, Star Trek Discovery. With the bar? The the character, the the guy who has the big cat. Oh. Who goes oh, around right. trading stuff. I wonder if somebody saw this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't seen him sing yet, but that doesn't mean he can't. <laughs> okay. Alrighty. My turn. Yes. Jane, you're playing a game you never can win, girl. That's that's the best Starship song. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> got okay. Got gotcha, it. gotcha. Uh, I chose, from 1982, Forbidden World. grip of fear by a weird biological mutation. Part alien, part human, all nightmare. Reproducing. This is an a priority high security research facility. 
Actually, it's a scientist's dream. Also known right. as mutant. Uh, well, oh, okay. Not Forbidden Planet. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Not the classic From sci-fi the movie. 50s, 60s. For a moment, it's like, was there? My first thought was there a sequel to Forbidden Planet? I never heard of. <laughs> I I would guess, since this is produced by Roger Corman, yeah. that he was hoping you would <laughs> think this was a sequel to another film. Aha. Uh-huh. 1982. Budget of under one million dollars. Box office of around four million dollars. Mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes critics have it at 60%, and the audience has it at 31%, and I feel like that's pretty fair. (laughs) Directed by Alan Holtzman, who directed Grunt, exclamation point, the wrestling movie. (laughs) Oh my God. And Program to Kill, and this classy title, John Bonet, Messages from the Grave. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Written by Tim Kernan, who wrote Ghost Warrior. And then a video game called Supreme Warrior. This would have been the 80s, early 80s, so who knows. Starring Jesse Vint, who has 70 credits, including Earthquake, Silent Running, and Little Big Man. Don Dunlap, who was in Liar's Moon, Night Shift, and Barbarian Queen. June Chadwick, who was in the TV series V, Jumping Jack Flash, The Evil Below, but pros... Most probably known as uh, the Yoko-like wife of David St. Hubbins in This is Spinal Tap. Oh, sure. Also stars Lyndon Childs. 152 credits, including at least one episode episode of every single TV series in the 60s, 70s, (laughs) 80s, and 90s. I mean, this guy's credit list was insane. Just name a TV show. (laughs) Uh, Greatest American Hero. <laughs> yes. Alan yes. McNeil. I think he did one episode of Greatest American Heroes, uh, Night Rider. You know, it just was literally different wow. strokes. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Have either of you guys seen this then? No. When it was called Mutant, which is a much closer title to what's actually going on in this. I don't think so. This is totally fresh to me. Jesse Vint is um, this. Uh, He's kind of a military officer. He is an odd choice as the lead because of the way they portray him as being like a very handsome lead. 
He is not very handsome. He is, <laughs> he is kind of uncomfortable to look at. He's weird looking, right? But, but nobody in the movie <laughs> seems to think this. So, ah. may, you know, could just be me. Oh. Anyway, the story opens with, uh, with Mike Colby and his robot assistant, Sam 104. <laughs> sure. On their starship, just minding their own business when they are suddenly attacked by footage from a different Roger Corman movie. <laughs> uh, you guys seen Battle Beyond the Stars? Oh, there you go. Yes. I, I was watching this. I'm like, it just opens up with, you know, kind of like Pandorum. He gets woken up by his robot and the robot starts telling him we're under attack. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? And then it's just literally 10 minutes of spaceship footage. And I was like, this looks so familiar. And it is. It's all footage from Battle oh. Beyond the Stars. Oh, Corman. <laughs> you yeah. cheap bastard. So there's all these starships all over the place chasing him, firing on him. Not sure exactly why. I guess they might be pirates or, you know, something like that. But it really is just an excuse to get some outer space dogfights on the screen. Uh, and these are really bad sub uh, Battlestar Galactica models. And, you know, flying through the air. But there's something charming about that old style of yeah. actually putting a model and then watching it explode with a big oh, yeah. firework inside of it and all that. So I, I loved it. Uh, then afterwards, Sam, Sam 104, I'm just going to call him Sam from now on. Mm. He informs Mike that the military is sending them to investigate some kind of problem at a distant laboratory on some far-flung planet. So they hop into a very bad version of hyperspace. And they arrive at the <laughs> desert planet of Zarbia. Oh my. Okay. Is you it know, Dune now? This is really. <laughs> um, so, our first shot inside is following a woman with a spectacular ass in her space jumpsuit. <laughs> Fantastic. And it is also revealed that her space jumpsuit has a plunging neckline. <laughs> is it uh, silver? It is. Uh, hers is white. Okay. Mm. Um, everyone but the women in the lab wear normal clothes. The women have these very tight-fitting space jumpsuits with plunging necklines. It's the future, you guys. Um, the future ain't what it used to be. Uh, there you go. I mean, there you go, yes. So Mike arrives, he meets everyone there, and he finds out that they've been creating a new food source, but it has somehow mutated into an octopus-like monster and caused some damage. But they've got it under control now. Oh, they've got okay. this thing in the this area. That's good. And uh, it soon breaks out of that area and starts killing everybody. And now the movie has gone from like a, a Star Wars ripoff at the beginning to an alien ripoff, and it stays an alien ripoff for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, that night, Mike Colby manages to get into the jumpsuit of June Chadwick. We have the spectacular ass. And while they're having sex, one of the guards is watching them through a video screen and he's pulling on this weird space yo-yo. Oh yeah. And, it, and it's lighting up while he's watching them very oh creepily through this, this video screen. Pulling on. Okay. Yes. yes. Oh because, God. because that's what it, I mean, it's like a, it's clearly a jerking off metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> Is it um, a cool yo-yo? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it lights up. Yeah, well, you hold it with both hands and you you pull it apart like a like a uh, accordion type thing, oh, and, and it, it goes and it like... spins around and lights oh, up and everything. So pretty... I'm sure it's something that actually existed back in the '80s. Uh -huh. That's pretty fun. Um, it's all okay that he's doing this weird voyeur stuff because he gets killed next. Okay. Oh, 
Um, <laughs> but it is a weird scene because uh, he hears a sound. So he goes to investigate that sound. And as he's walking through the um, through these dark corners and kind of turning and every once in a while, you're like, there's something watching him and all that. But the way it's edited is as he's doing that, then you drop like two frames of the sex scene in too. Okay. And I mean, it's, I, I'm not even joking. So if there's 24 frames in a second, yeah. two scenes is almost a subconscious level, right? Yes. So you just get this blink of, of a, you know, a butt or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, is he distracted? Cause that's what he's thinking. But the actor is never given anything to do with that. So it's like, they huh. just decided to edit this very strangely. <laughs> I, I don't know. Weird. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is weird. Uh, it would have been, it would have made more sense to me if he was like distracted. Cause I think he yeah. had something for this girl and then she's, you know, with the dude anyway, uh, it's not played that way at all. Huh? Uh, the next morning, Mike ends up in the steam room with the other young woman and they both get naked and start getting it on. Also, this girl's boyfriend was the first one to die yesterday. So she has gotten over she, this very quickly. She's mourning. Um, <laughs> she's really getting through that loss. Look, this guy, Jesse Vint, not a good looking man. There's literally no reason for these women to be throwing themselves at him oh, because, because the other men in this lab are much better looking. <laughs> but I'm guessing, you know, uh, he's new. He's different. Yeah, gonna... New dude. Yeah. Distraction from laboratory work. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so weird in the steam room because she was really broken up about her boyfriend <laughs> the night before. And then... There's just this weird, there's a ton of gratuitous nudity in this, which is my favorite kind of nudity. Sure. And it's, it's like, wow, this is, there's no hiding what this movie is all about. I love Roger Corman. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then of course that, that gets interrupted because the alien attacks them in the steam room and everybody shows up and, and the girl he was with the night before is like, What's going on in here? What's what's the alien wearing? Were, were you telling her about your <laughs> scars? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, right. Find Colby. Chicks dig scars. Uh, they end up hunting the creature on the planet's inhospitable surface, which is also the same planet that Kirk battled the Gorn on, because there's that cool rock formation. Oh. So yeah. I'm guessing this somehow exists in the Star Trek universe now. Uh, <laughs> of course it does. It is infinite space. Um, so, I mean, from here, there's just a ton of nonsense, <laughs> but it's all quite enjoyable. Uh, you know, of course that Colby kills the creature. He gets the girl in the end, but not before everyone else dies. I loved it. Loved yeah. it. Loved it. <laughs> Trivia. I feel like I must've seen this when I was 13 or 14, but mm. it all felt very new to me. <laughs> and by very new, I mean very old. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of trivia. According to director Alan Holtzman, he began shooting without a script with these directions from Corman. You have four days to write, produce, oh. and direct a seven to eight minute opening of a space movie. I'll give you an astronaut and a robot. And if you need any inspiration, I've always wanted to do a version of Lawrence of Arabia in outer space. Whoa. Now, let me wow. just tell you guys this. This is not an adaptation of Lawrence of Arabia in Outer Space. There is nothing Lawrence of Arabia about this. <laughs> I like that idea, though. It's more like Lawrence of Alabia. Oh, right, oh Vanessa? my God. I, right? I believe you know I'm that is a real movie. Oh, <laughs> I believe it probably is, too. This is so upsetting. During a screening, <laughs> Roger Corman actually smacked an audience member on the head for laughing at the film. <laughs> oh, no. When Roger left the theater, the guy he punched 
poured soda all over his head from the balcony. <laughs> that sounds fair. That sounds like what you should be doing while I watching this so movie. I think so, too. Um, approximately six minutes of footage was removed from the original pre-release assembly on orders of Roger Corman, who was angered by witnessing a test screening audience laughing uproariously <laughs> at some of the comedic passages that were subsequently removed. The modular forms decorating the hallways of the research lab are hinged lid styrofoam sandwich boxes, like mm. from McDonald's back then and everything, mm. which oh, were all designed by James Cameron for the movie Galaxy of Terror. And oh. they just kept them and then slapped them back up. There. <laughs> I, I think I spoke about Galaxy of Terror. I believe so, yeah. On one episode. Yeah. Uh, it was shot in 20 days, which is fairly impressive. I mean, it, it's this is not a a weird, badly made movie. It's a pretty decently made movie. Mm. Uh, there is a scene where they send this, um, this character in to clean up this part of the laboratory where uh, the creature escaped from and there's all these dead animals, cats and dogs and stuff like that. Oh. This is upsetting. <laughs> uh, the slaughtered animals in the laboratory were actual dead animals bought from oh. a local pound. Oh now, my God. I hope this is not true because the scene oh. is just him picking up cats and throwing them into like a, a space garbage can. Oh, and I'm like, I really hope they did not tell that actor he had to, first of all, tell the set director, spread all these dead animals around and then tell the <laughs> actor, okay, now clean up all these dead animals. Oh my God. So, very upsetting if that's true. Oh Ooh. Jesus. That was my movie. I really did have good. a good time with it. Yeah, that, that sounds... Roger Corman knew what he was doing yeah. to a point. You would yeah. think, though, that audience story you were saying, he'd go, his head would shift. Okay, I see what we're doing here. Let's release this in a slightly different way. Well, yeah. the uh, the director wanted to kind of make it... He knew he had a budget of less than a million dollars, and he was like, we can't treat this too seriously. This is yeah. ridiculous. And so I guess he had a lot of um, comedic moments in it. Uh-huh. And Corman didn't understand the comedy. So when wow. the audience was laughing at it, he thought that, you know, hey, we can't have these moments in here. This is my, this is my Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roger. I don't think Roger ever had one of those. I don't think he ever did either. Maybe his Poe movies. Wow. <laughs> Man, those are uh, some very different spaceship movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good point. Yes. Well, I do love when we get something this broad, we mm -hmm. get a nice cross section of all sorts of shit. Yeah, yeah. It's I just thinking about what the women in our each of our films was wearing alone. Like yours, Eric had a shower curtain. Kelly, you had gorgeous white plunging line <laughs> space lab suits. And mine was like Mad Max wear. Right. So ah, space is so beautiful. By the way, the the other girl in this with the um with the space jumpsuit, hers was a pastel pink. That does help. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I but mean, kind of like a shiny pastel pink. But nobody had like future. a lavender uh -huh. to like you know make a good trio of colors. Right. Mm. It's always so weird to watch these movies <laughs> and see, especially the Corman ripoffs of various movies, and they don't get what made a movie like Star Wars or Alien look so great is is that it looked like that mining ship and alien had been around for a hundred years yeah, right. and they'd been using it to mm -hmm. do stuff with, or all the stuff in Star Trek, you know, or Star Wars was, was a used universe. The ships yeah. had oil yes. dripping from them and all this stuff. Yeah. And then Corman comes in and he's like, all right, let's uh, paint some styrofoam and put it up on the wall. Everything is like 
brand new and clean <laughs> in this movie. It's hilarious. Absolutely. Except for the animals that are dead. Yeah. Oh yeah, my that, God. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, that means that the next pick is mine, but um, we also know that instead of that next episode, we are doing our uh, favorites of 2021. Yay. Yeah. So oh, I'm that's, so excited. That's what next episode is going to be, kind of a countdown of the movies we like best. I, I have a, a lot feeling of that Eric and I are going to have some similarities I on our so. list. <laughs> I think so, yes. And some differences, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I just won't have anything that overlaps with either of you. I think that yours will overlap with both of us, and uh, <laughs> so it's going to be a very boring episode. Fantastic. That's right. Give the people what they want. That's right. <laughs> Uh, this is the part where I thank everybody for participating in the value for value model. Thanks so much for that guys. Liking and sharing posts, sending money, sending uh, really cool stamps and stuff like that. Jeez, so man. cool. So cool. Um, anything else we should mention before we sign out? Uh, just want to say thanks again to the folks that sent us those questions that helped make 150 such an interesting Unique episode, so yes. we may have to do that again sometime in the future. But uh, episode two hundred, there you go. <laughs> it's coming up <laughs> slowly. All right, so then, uh, how about we get back together one week from today and we do this all over again? Okay, sure. Right. Brain Geons Radio is artisanal quality podcasting, handcrafted with all natural ingredients, and edited to perfection by Eric Morgret. Our blistering theme song is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider dropping a positive review on Apple Podcasts. We built this city on rock and roll.